if you're ever going to reflect, this is the time of year to reflect. So this is why we do what we do on Sunday morning, okay? I know uh, the way it used to be in here, we used to have just a bunch of chairs set up like one big amoeba, one big, one big blob staring up here at the stage. And we made a change last year because I wanted to be really intentional about this. I wanted to find ways to connect you guys better to each other. For some of you, that's a bad thing as you're talking right now as I'm saying this. And... Uh, but the point of it is to uh, find a way to plug people in on Sunday morning relationally. And so we, we decided to start with tables and everything. And what happened was it still was just a big amoeba, a big blob. So I decided to try something different and just do it based on grade and gender. Now, my intention for that was not to try to control you or to be your, your school teacher and give you assigned seating or whatever. But my desire was to find a way to... If a sophomore girl comes into our midst on Sunday morning, I want to have a place where she can go and feel like people want to get to know her and people are the same age as her, same interests, whatever it is you might want to say. And uh, and so we did the whole grade and gender thing. Now, I know some of you guys kind of backlash a little bit and you're like, Dave, I don't like doing the whole grade and gender thing at tables. And, and, and here's my, my take. I'm not going to hold a gun to your head. I'm just trying to encourage you to want to reach your class. That's my, that's my goal here. That's, that's my mission. So if you want to be selfish and go sit somewhere else and be with your peeps, whatever it is, um, that's your prerogative. But I want to hold up before you the mission and the vision of I want you to reach people that are in your circle. Okay? And so you can be a part of that. Or you can choose not to be a part of that. It's up to you. But I want to heavily encourage you in that direction. Heavily, all right? Now, I had this idea, very cutting edge, I think, uh, to have a, a mixed table at the back. Now, this would be for people who maybe you brought a friend that's not in the same grade as you and you feel like you just want to sit with that friend or whatever. So instead of having to sit in the back of the room, like some of you guys are doing already, uh, there's a place for you to sit in the back there where you can be in a mixture of the tables where you're just one one big happy blob and one big happy family, okay? You're just you're just so excited to be in that mixed table environment and there's neither neither Jew nor Gentile there. It's just everyone's the same, you know, all on the same wavelength. So that's what that table's for. It's not for if you're mad at your friends and you want to go somewhere else. If you're mad at your friends, you need to deal with it and sit at your table and work it out. Alright? That's what that's for, okay? So, you with me? We're on the same page. We're on the same team. Okay, good. Now, uh, we are doing Galatians, a book that I'm really excited about. And we have uh, entitled this series, The Naked Gospel. Now, before you freak out, here's why we're calling it that. You've got to understand the background of Galatians to understand the title that we're using. Galatians is a letter written by who? Paul, written to who? The Galatians, who were people in what town? Galatia. Good. You are so smart. And, uh, but here's what was happening in Galatia at the time. You had Jewish Christians, people who had become Christians, even though they had been rooted in the Jewish system of law and sacrifices. They became Christians. They realized that that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, so they recognized that they no longer had to keep on living out all these letters of the law, as it were. And so because of that, they were living in freedom in Christ. Okay, But there were some other kinds of Jewish Christians that thought, no, 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 you have to follow Jesus, 
and to follow the law. You have to do both. And so there was this conflict developing between those two groups of people. And so Paul enters into this conflict and he says, look, you can't add things to the gospel. It is Jesus and Jesus. It is not Jesus and the law. It's not Jesus and good works. It's not Jesus and what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of car you drive. It is Jesus and Jesus and more of Jesus. And so he focuses them back on the pure gospel, the naked gospel, the unadulterated gospel, and says this is the gospel of Jesus. It's the only gospel that will ever change someone's life. So he points it back to this gospel. Now, in this passage particularly, it addresses one main question. It it, it talks about uh, Paul's testimony. Paul is trying to convince the Galatians that he really was changed by the gospel. Some of the Galatians thought that maybe Paul was influenced unhealthy, unhealthily by, by other Galatians and by other disciples. They thought that, that Paul was convinced by man to follow this thing called Christianity, to follow Christ. And so Paul is arguing, he's saying, no, my salvation is real. I am following after Christ because Christ changed me. This, this pure gospel changed me. It's not about pleasing men, it's about pleasing Jesus. And so we're going to look today at how this passage parallels with our testimony and our lives. And so the first question I want you to address at your tables is this. How do you know that your life has been changed by the gospel? Discuss. Okay, I imagine some of your responses, I want you to think about your responses during the rest of today's message. I want you to think about this question as a framework for the rest of the passage, okay? So, uh, you and I might live today in the easiest place in the world to be a Christian. It, it, It might be the easiest place in the world here in Temple, Texas to actually be a Christian. I know you're thinking, well, okay, not where I go to school. Where I go to school, it's, it's very difficult, which I understand that. But, if you talk to even the kids at your school that make fun of Christians, if you really get up alone and say, hey, what do you say you believe? They might even say, yeah, I believe the Christian, the Christian thing. I believe Christian beliefs. So, in, in a way, it might be the easiest place in the world to be a Christian, but also the hardest place to actually live it out. Because everybody says they're a Christian, Right? In fact, it, it, it might be too easy. It might be too easy to be a Christian where we live today. So, Paul is dealing with this, this, this question, this issue in his life, of how, does, how do these Galatians, how can they be convinced that he's really been changed by the gospel? So look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 1 of Galatians. It says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, some Galatians were, were saying that Paul had been brainwashed by other disciples. They, they, they thought that, that maybe Paul was, was convinced by man to be a Christian. Maybe he saw this, this new movement of people called Christianity following this man named Jesus Christ, and he thought, I want to get in on the ground floor of this thing called Christianity, so I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to follow this 
guy named Jesus. And, and they think he's been convinced by man. And so Paul is saying, no, I've not been convinced by man. I've been convinced by Jesus. He, he's saying that, he, he's saying, I had everything to lose and nothing to gain by being a Christian. There were no men that I was trying to please to be a Christian. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, if I were trying to please men, I wouldn't be a Christian. Christianity at the time was not popular for someone to follow. So Paul had everything to lose and nothing to gain. So how can you and I know if your life has really been changed by the gospel? Has it cost you something? Has you following after Christ, has it, has it cost you something? Now, I'm not saying that you have to be a jerk to people if you're a Christian or treat certain people badly, but I am saying this. Has being a Christian, has it cost you some unhealthy relationships? Has it cost you certain boyfriends or girlfriends? Has it cost you a certain kind of lifestyle, giving up that kind of lifestyle? Has it, has it cost you something? If not, then the gospel hasn't really changed you. The gospel hasn't changed you. You see, most of us have a faith where it costs us nothing. We've got nothing to lose. We might only follow him if we lose nothing in the process. In fact, you might even be someone who will only follow after Christ if there's something to gain for you. Well, if I can be a part of that group of friends then I'll follow after him. If I can have this happen in my life, then I'll follow after him. In fact, maybe some of you guys are here today because your friends are here, and that's really the only reason. Maybe it's like a weird kind of reversed peer pressure where instead of it being peer pressure towards drugs and sex, it's peer pressure towards Jesus, and you haven't really owned your faith. You're just here because your friends have. And so how do you know the gospel has changed you? It's when you stop caring what other people think. Paul is in this place of of being so sold out to Jesus Christ, and and so not about what other men are talking about, he is so, so sold out to Jesus that he doesn't care what other Jewish people think, what the Galatian Christian people think. He is so about Jesus, Jesus has changed his life completely and radically. And so because of that, he cares nothing about what man has to say, and only about what God has to say. Look at verse 11. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism... How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Again, the Galatians think that Paul's only motive is to follow Christ so he can be popular. And Paul's saying, look, if I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't be a Christian. That would be the last thing I would be. That's not going to gain me popularity as a Jew. Think about it. So Paul says, if you want to know if this is real, if you want to know if my current state is real and I've really been transformed, he says, 
Look at my past. Look at where I've come from. You may not know this, but before Paul became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. In fact, I don't think you understand how evil he really was. When I was a kid, I thought Paul persecuted Christians. I heard that and I thought, okay, what did he do? Did he like make fun of Christians? Did he throw rocks at them? Did he make fun of their mothers? Like, What did that look like exactly? And so I want you to read. I want to have uh, some guy at the back of this back table right here, one of the, um, this table back here. Uh, somebody look up Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Just one person. And then at this table over here, the guys in the back, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And then our mixed table in the very back, uh, somebody look up Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 11. So we've got Acts 8, 3. Acts 9, 1 and 2, Acts 26, 9 through 11. And uh, somebody grab this mic from this table over here, and uh, I want to have that the people read the passage at your table. So let's read Acts chapter 8, verse 3, starting off. This is Paul describing himself. Sometime today, please. <laughs> I can't read it. But Saul was revenging the church, or ravaging the church, and entering house after house. He daggered off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, pass on to the next table. So what you have here, Paul is going from house to house looking for Christians. He's dragging off men, but not just men, mothers. He's dragging off mothers, dragging them out of their house while their kids are screaming probably, dragging them off to prison and throwing them in prison. That's Paul. Read Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, so he's breathing out murderous threats to the believers. I don't know if you caught that, but here's what he was doing. He was going and intercepting letters from one Christian group to another Christian group. I'm not sure how they did that back then, if it was Pony Express or however they transferred things like that. But he was intercepting the mail, and he would, he would follow that mail to where it was supposed to go. He would find out who it's going to go to, and he would put those people who were receiving the letter in prison. That's Paul. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they weren't, were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went to one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my uh, uh, obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Okay, so Paul is basically saying, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with putting Christians to death. Voting for them in the courts to be put to death for what they believe. This is Paul, the author of a large portion of the New Testament. I don't think you make the connection today, but you know what this sounds like as we read this whole thing? This sounds like what the Nazis did in World War II, doesn't it? 
going from house to house, pulling people out on the streets, throwing them in prison, killing them possibly, voting for their death. This sounds like what the Nazis did. I don't think they really put Paul in that. We don't paint him in that picture, do we? So what's Paul's point? Is Paul just bragging? Is he just bragging? Hey, look how evil I was. I was horrible. Like some people will get up here and say, yeah, I had a really awful testimony. I did drugs. I did all kinds of stuff. And it's almost kind of like they're bragging just a little bit of what they used to do. Paul is not bragging about his testimony. He's not saying, look how evil I was. He's saying, look how evil I was. Look how far I've come. How do you explain the change? How do you explain this miraculous change, me going from a person who persecuted Christians, killed Christians, drug women away from their families while their kids are screaming? How do you explain that kind of change? He's saying that only God could have changed me. Only God could have performed this miracle. And you can imagine that for someone who, who thinks that they're too far gone, Maybe some of you guys in here today, you feel like you've done too much. You're too far gone. You're, there's no way Christ could redeem you. There's no way Christ could, could save you at this point in your life. You feel like you've just done too much that's evil and bad. There's no way God will ever accept you. If there's anything we can learn from the life of Paul, it is that anybody can be redeemed. Anybody can be saved. Nobody is too far gone. In fact, the reality is, we're all too far gone. That's kind of the point. We're all not worthy of being saved. That's the whole point of the gospel. All of us are gone without Him. But but Paul is saying, look at my life, look at my past, look at what I've come from, look at how Christ changed me. So how do you know the gospel has changed you? It's when you can admit your sin. When you can admit your sin. Ever met somebody who they can never admit their sin? Now, I don't mean like if you ask them, hey, are you a sinner? They don't say, no, I'm perfect in every way. They don't say that. But they'll admit their sin generically or abstractly, and they'll say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Of course I'm a sinner. But when it comes to a certain situation in life, they can never admit that they're evil and that they're a sinful person. They can never admit when they're wrong. They can never apologize, can never say they're sorry for something. This kind of person hasn't allowed the gospel to penetrate their heart and soul. And and so you you know that that the gospel has changed your life when you can look at your present situation and your past life and say, I have been a sinner, I still am a sinner, I'm still evil sometimes, I, I still act out of my evil nature. This is how you know. This is how you know. Look at verse 15. He says, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. There's a part of this verse that I want you to catch. And it's the part where it says, in verse 15 and 16, it says that God set him apart from birth. He called him by his grace. And it says what? He was what? Pleased. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The word pleased. 
God was pleased to reveal His Son to Paul. So, so why did Jesus reveal Himself to Paul? Why did God call Paul? Why did God love Paul? Because He was pleased to do it. You can even say it like this. He called him, he loved him, just because. But because God is love. Just because. There wasn't anything in Paul. There was nothing in him that was worthy of being called. Nothing in him worthy of being set apart. It was simply because God was pleased to do it. Now to help you understand this, I want you to think of it in this way. Uh, For you ladies out there, uh, one day you're going to get married. And... One night you'll be sitting on the couch next to your husband watching a chick flick at your request. And uh, he's going to be in the moment. He's going to look at you in the eye. He's going to say, I love you. And your heart's going to flutter. And you're going to be really just in the moment yourself. And you're going to be searching for something to say besides I love you back. And you're going to say something like, why? Why do you love me? At that moment, the man panics. Because you've now emotionally hijacked the conversation. Like girls tend to do sometimes. Kind of like the question, what are you thinking about right now? And guys have no answer for that. They make up stuff all the time. And so she's, she's emotionally hijacked the conversation. And so now... Uh, he's, he's, he's sweating. He's going, okay, I've got to think of something. I've got to think of something really good. And, and so on the surface, she wants to hear something like, I love you because, fill in the blank. She wants to hear something like, I love you because you're, you're just so, your, your personality is so amazing. Your, um, your, your sense of humor is, is awesome. I love you because your hair is so beautiful. Your eyes are amazing. Uh, your nose is not that big. It's just, she wants to hear compliments. She wants to hear something. I love you because. Fill in the blank. And this response on the surface sounds really great. It sounds like, oh my gosh, she just loves so many things about me. That's so awesome. But here's what happens. That response always brings fear. And here's why. Because you start to think. Okay, he loves my hair, my eyes, my nose is not that big. He loves my personality. He loves those things about me and and you start to wonder well okay what if those things change what if I get old what if I stop being that way what if I get to a certain part of life I'm just not happy my personality stinks my sense of humor just dries up what happens if those things change so what happens is you start to think oh my gosh I've got to make sure I keep doing these things keep performing keep on I need to stay in shape I need to do all these things to make sure that he continues to love me And you get freaked out over it. And so the other response he could give you is this. I love you just because. Now at first, as a girl, you're going to be like, okay, that's a cop-out. Right? That's a cop-out. But when you think about it, that is the most secure, the best response he could possibly give. I love you just because. Because I do. That means... All those things can change. doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you just the way you are. I'm still going to keep on loving you. And, and you see, that is exactly how God loves us. 
He loves us just because. Because it's His nature to love because it pleases Him to do so. And, and you see, I want you to catch this. There is, there is no love that's more freeing, more secure, more releasing than that kind of love. That kind of love releases you to be the exact kind of person God meant for you to be. And you stop performing, you stop running on the treadmill of spiritual activity, you stop running on the treadmill of life, trying to impress God, other people. You stop trying to gain His approval. And you just rest in His grace because you know that He loves you just because. God was pleased to love Paul, and He's pleased to call and love you and I. So how do you know the Gospels changed you? The third reason is when you realize why God loves you. When you realize that He loves you not because of what you've done, not because of performance, but because, just because. Because He is love. That's who He is. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Now Jesus didn't just change the life of Paul. He changed also his own brother's life. James, you may not know, wrote the book of James. James was the, the brother of Jesus. Uh, Joseph and Mary had more kids than just Jesus. It was, it, was, uh, it was other kids besides him. So James was one of Jesus' brothers, half-brother. And James was a person who did not believe that his brother was the Messiah until after the resurrection. I think one of the biggest proofs of the resurrection is his own brother's life, the life of James. He was not a believer until after he saw his own brother resurrected. And so Jesus changed his own brother's life. So Paul goes and spends time with James, the, the Lord's brother. And, and if, you, if, you, if you look at anything when it comes to the authenticity of the gospel, it is this. You can't argue with changed lives. You can't look at Paul or James and say, it was by any other means that they became who they were because only Jesus Christ could have done that kind of miracle in their life. Look at verse 21. It says, Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So how do you know the gospel has changed you? Fourth reason. When others notice the change. Do other people take notice? I'm not talking about a showy kind of spirituality or a, hey, look at me, look how spiritual I am kind of thing. I'm talking about, do people come to you and say, Man, I, I look at your life and I go, wow, you have really changed. And I can see that it's not just you. It's something in you. God has changed you. Do other people notice the change? Does your life point people to glorify God because of the change? On your tables, you'll see some sheets that have uh, some questions on it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend the next few minutes uh, looking at those questions, just kind of pass them around at your tables there. And I want you to look at the questions, and I want at least every table to have one discussion leader. Raise your hand if you're going to be that discussion leader for me. Raise your hand real high if you're that person. 
You might be a leader, you might be a student, it doesn't matter. Put your hand up real high. And we're going to spend some time. I want you guys to look at those questions and just kind of go down through the list and respond to them. And just say, hey, this is my own personal testimony. And in fact, this is a way for you to reflect back on your own personal life story and say, this is how I've seen God change me in my life. Okay? Discuss. You can just talk about it.
What you guys to do is to take that take that sheet that we've given you, take it home with you. And tonight, I want you to look back and I want you to reflect on your life. I want you to write down and journal some of the answers to those questions, and think about how far it is you've come in your life to this point. Now, to close out, I want to show you this video of a, of a guy that you may have heard about who became a Christian. This is one of those guys that you would think was just too far gone. He was just too far gone to become a Christian, and yet Jesus changed his life. Let's watch. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to accept Christ in front of everybody right now. Now I'm going to go home and snort drugs until I don't want to do them anymore. And that was my way of thinking. So I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, and put her in front of the TV. I remember I grabbed a $100 bill. I always used a $100 bill for some reason, pride or something. I chopped up my crystal mess, got it all smooth and powdery, and I snorted a big old line. And I held the bill, and I looked up, and I said, Jesus, if you're real like that pastor said, then you got to take these drugs from me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And I just got quiet. I said, search me right now. Search my heart. And I stayed silent. And I said, you know I want to quit. You know I want to be a good dad for this kid. She lost her mother to drugs. And she's going to lose me if I don't quit. Amen. and you see all these people like just loving your music and loving you and stuff and there's these girls and all these people worshiping me when you see all those people just going nuts for you it's like you know it it puffs you up inside you're like you know I'm important that's where drugs can creep in and you know cocaine or whatever methamphetamines crept in and it all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends. And uh, it seems like fun in the beginning, but it's a lie because it, it, it turns around on you. It starts to wear on your personality. It starts to wear on your relationships. And everything is affected by it negatively. Everything. There was a, a few times where Life seemed good. My daughter, Janae, she came into the world, and I was like, it was just such a, a euphoric feeling 
I thought my life could just feel like that forever, you know. It was like a, a spiritual, just, I didn't know what was happening. I just felt so much love to fill my emotions. And I thought I was going to be happy, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. I hit rock bottom. I had swore that I would never do methamphetamines again because I saw what it did to my child's mother. It, it just took her feelings away and made her leave her kid. I just wanted her dead. I wanted to kill her. I thought she was a scum of the earth. And, uh, you know, how could she do drugs like that and let, it, let the drugs win her like that? So I never was going to do meth again. Ended up with a everyday crippling addiction to methamphetamine, and everything that I said about my ex-wife came true for me. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think. I would spend time with my kid, and I'd still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and snort meth, and then take her to school or whatever. It was just like I was a jump. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff, and then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer send me drugs through the mail, tweaked out in the hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. Just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. Janae had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember her skipping around the house singing one of our porn songs. It's called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like, going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing all day I dream about sex. And uh, I'm going to die. Father. My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, I felt the scripture, like, jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, wary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm wary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but, the, you know, they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven and it was like I don't condemn you I love you I love you it was just love love and instantly that love from God came into me it was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs and uh I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn, and I'm going to raise my kid. Because my kid, like, I got the love from God coming to me, and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face 
lit up and she's like for me you know she felt so special and uh, God used her to save me to save her life later on my dream came true way more than I dreamt about I got I made more money I played bigger shows I mean houses cars I tried drugs, I tried sex, I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true, but it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, He gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by Him. And we're created to be with Him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life. Because you don't have to look anywhere else. And you're exactly where you need to be. And the question about life is answered. I'm Brian Ed Welch. And I'm second. Can I pray for you? God, thank you so much for changing us. Thank you for changing Paul. Thank you for changing each one of us that's here today. We thank you for just the way that you enter our lives and just the power that that brings. God, I pray that uh, if anyone here today is not following you, does not know you, does not know what it means to um, have a relationship with you, I pray that right now as you speak to them, that you would uh, just extend your grace to them, you would just... Um, Help them to sense how much you love them and care about them. And, uh, God, that they would sense that it's not anything in themselves that, that, you, that you necessarily love. It's, it's just who you are. It's, it's because of, of who you are. And I pray that you would just help us to wrestle with that. Help us to wrestle with what it means to live out this gospel that we're all seeking to live out. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for coming. We will see you guys.